You've probably heard the phrase, you can tell a lot about a person by looking at their friends. Or, or maybe put another way, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. A lot of truth to those statements, isn't there? You know, when we think, of the, when we think about Jesus, we, we tend to think uh, about his deity. We, we tend to you know, study what he taught. Uh, we try to decipher his parables. We're, we're trying to understand his teachings. But I want you to re- remember that Jesus was also human. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. He grew, he developed, he matured, just like you and I did. He started off as a little child and grew as a toddler. And he grew muscles and eventually facial hair. And, and he, he grew up he got hungry, he got tired, he got thirsty uh, at the end of the day. Uh, there were times when he got sad, he was troubled in spirit. Uh, he didn't just take on human flesh, he also took on human feelings. I mean, he was real. He understands you and I. He understands how, how we feel and what we think and what goes on. He worked a job, he was a carpenter. Uh, I don't know if he was building houses or building tables and chairs and, and furniture, I'm not sure. But uh, he worked. I'm sure that he got calluses on his hands. He hung out with his friends. Um, I'm sure he laughed. It's very possible they would go down and swim in the river, the lake sometimes. And, and you know, I mean, he was, he was normal, loved to tell stories. And, and he had a group of people that he liked to hang out with. Uh, just like you and I, we have a group of friends. We, we, have, we have those that we, we kind of like to hang out with on the weekends. And, and so for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the friends of Jesus. And uh, you've probably heard about the big friends, you know, Peter, James, and John. You've probably heard lots of sermons on them. So just for the next few weeks, we're going to look at some of the lesser known friends of Jesus and just see if we can't discover some things uh, about them. I mean, uh, what were they like? Uh, who were they? Uh, what did they do? What happened to them after Jesus ascended? Where did they go from there? So we're going to dig, uh, dig into uh, these lesser-known disciples just a little bit. Uh, they weren't famous, but they spent a lot of time with Jesus during his ministry years. And so the first young man that we're going to look at is a man by the name of Andrew. If you have your Bible, turn to the book of John. We'll be in chapter number one, picking it up in verse 35. <clears throat> Says the next day, John. Now we're talking about John the Baptist here. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they, follow, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas which when translated is Peter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning into this place. God, to, first of all, to meet with you, to lift up your name, to worship you. God, we recognize you this morning are holy and awesome and everywhere present and all powerful. God, your word says that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that 
you're there. And so, God, we recognize your presence in this place today. And, God, these good folks today have come to hear from you, uh, not from me. God, so I pray that as I read your word that, Lord, your Holy Spirit would speak through your word to the hearts of each person here. Open eyes and ears and hearts to the truth that you'd have them to receive. God, I pray that every person in this room this morning, God, would just, would just hear you speak to them. Uh, God, maybe it's just a word, maybe it's just a phrase or, 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 or a main, main point, I don't know. But God, may they just hear from you. And uh, so, Lord, we just dedicate these moments unto you. And uh, God, just pray that you do a mighty work in our presence today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in our text today, we see John the Baptist and two of his disciples. Now, John the Baptist had uh, some disciples as well. I mean, these were just students. They were learners. And so John the Baptist would get up and he would teach. And so he had some that would listen to him. And Andrew and John were two of them that were his disciples. And uh, so uh, John the Baptist here points out to Andrew and John that, hey, there's Jesus and he's the promised Messiah. And of course, then you, you read what happened there, that, that uh, they followed Jesus, and he said, hey, come to my house. And so Andrew and John were the first apostles to actually meet Jesus. Now, what's the difference between an apostle and a disciple? Well, the Greek word disciple simply means a learner or a student, and it's used throughout the New Testament to refer to people who believed in Jesus and followed him. Whereas the Greek word uh, for apostle literally means one who is sent. It can refer to an emissary or somebody who is sent on a mission at the direction of another. An apostle is given the authority of the one who sent them. So all of the, all of the apostles were disciples. They were among the, the believers of Jesus, but only a select group of the disciples were chosen as the 12 apostles. Now, there are no apostles, I believe, in, in, in the special sense of the word like it was in the New Testament time in the world today. Uh, these were the 12 and a few others in the New Testament who were mentioned who had a special task sent by God to found the church. Uh, but then, you know, the word apostle is still used by some Christian groups today, uh, perhaps referencing a, a missionary or some kind of an entrepreneurial leader in a general sense. But I don't believe that these apostles have the same authority as the New Testament apostles that we read here. And so here we see Andrew and John, they were the first apostles. So after this encounter with the Messiah, Andrew is so thrilled to have met Jesus, the Messiah, that he runs to find his brother, Simon. Now, we're going to know him as Peter. And he says, you're not going to, I have found the Messiah. So Andrew has this tremendous zeal, this passion uh, for God, which explains why he would sit at the feet of John the Baptist. I mean, he wanted to know uh, about God. He was a, he was a student. He was, he was passionate about God. And so when he was listening to John the Baptist and John pointed him out to Jesus, you know, certainly uh, that was an incredible moment for Andrew. Now, Andrew uh, and Peter, or Simon, uh, they grew up uh, in the village of Bethsaida in the northern region of Galilee. They were, they were brothers. They lived together in the same house in a city in Capernaum. And uh, they, uh, together with James and John, uh, operated a fishing business. Uh, so they had a fishing business, these four guys together. And so after this initial contact with Christ, Andrew and Peter 
uh, went back to Capernaum to continue working in their fishing business. And sometime later, Jesus came to their city and uh, he called them to follow him. So we're going to find that in Matthew chapter 4. We'll begin reading in verse 18. And as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were there casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So though Andrew was the first one to meet Jesus, Christ called both him and his brother to be followers at the same time. Uh, most likely, Andrew was probably the quieter brother uh, in the family. You know, every, we have four kids. All four kids are different. If you have more than one kid, you certainly know that every single kid in the family is different. And Andrew uh, was probably the quieter brother in the family. His, his name means manly, and it's actually probably a very uh, accurate description of him running a fishing operation in the Sea of Galilee 2,000 years ago was hard work. And so he probably was a muscular individual. Uh, John MacArthur uh, writes about Andrew and he says this, Andrew had other characteristics of manliness. He was bold, decisive, and deliberate. Nothing about him is feeble or wimpish. He was driven by a hearty passion for the truth and he was willing to subject himself to the most extreme kinds of hardship and austerity in pursuit of that objective. So we see here he's a manly man. So his brother Peter, Andrew, then James and John would be called to follow Christ, to be these first apostles. Now remember, these four had already, they were already together. They, they operated a fishing business together. So they knew each other. They worked hand in hand with each other each day. And yet when Christ forms his inner circle of friends, who gets left out of the group? Andrew, right? Jesus's inner circle became uh, uh, Peter, James, and John. When there was the Mount of Transfiguration, who did Jesus take? Peter, James, and John. You know, so often when Jesus would get together with just his closest, his most inner circle, it was Peter, James, and John, Andrew got left out. Even though he was, they, they were part of the business together, they worked together. Now, it doesn't mean that Andrew was any less of an apostle then them it just means that Jesus didn't choose him to be part of the inner circle. How would that make you feel? Imagine that was you. I mean, you and your, you and your friends start a business. You all work together for all these years. You're the first one to meet Jesus. You introduce them to uh, the rest of your team. And when he forms his inner circle, you're not a part of it. He probably... He could have felt left out. He could have begun to develop some resentment. He could have been hurt, angry, maybe depressed, betrayed. But you know what? You don't see any of that in Andrew because he was a person that was perfectly content playing second fiddle. He didn't need to be part of the inner circle. It didn't bother him. At least we see nothing to indicate that it bothered him at all that he was going to play a supporting role to the rest of the stars. He was okay working behind the scenes. He was able to see things from a different perspective. 
And it was his unique perspective that really makes him a great example for us to follow today. While others were caught up in the nitty-gritty and the fine details, Andrew was able to step back. He was able to see the big picture. He saw things that perhaps the other apostles didn't see or didn't recognize. So today, I want to share with you just three things that I believe that Andrew could see that reflect his character uh, and his values. And I think he, he actually makes a really good example for us to follow in the church today. So what did Andrew see that sets him apart from the other apostles? Number one, he saw the importance of bringing people to Jesus. Andrew was a man who recognized the value of a single human soul. At Venture, if you're around here any, any length of time, you'll, you'll hear me or one of the other pastors say, everybody spends eternity somewhere. That's why we do what we do. We do it to glorify God, but because we believe that every person spends eternity somewhere and they need the message of the truth. They need to hear the gospel. They need to be introduced to Jesus. Andrew knew how important the gospel was, just as we know how important the gospel is, that we take the gospel to every man, woman, and child in Southwest Florida. So while others saw the crowds... Andrew saw the individuals. Just about every time you see Andrew in the scripture, he's bringing someone to meet Jesus. I mean, clearly he brought Peter to meet Jesus. When 5,000 people were hungry and they were trying to figure out how are we going to feed this, it was Andrew who brought the young boy with five loaves and two fish to meet Jesus. When the Greeks wanted to meet Jesus, it was Andrew and Philip that took them to Jesus. You just always see Andrew introducing somebody else to Jesus. Peter, his brother, would preach to crowds. I mean, his brother was the communicator. His, his brother was the loud and boisterous one in the family. But Andrew, he was, he was content with just one-on-one -on -one evangelism. And he was just continually bringing people to meet Jesus. And I think it's a fantastic example for us to follow in church. You know, there are a few people who uh, God has called or gifted with the ability to, to address the crowds, but it's usually a smaller group of people. But what's really needed is people who see the individuals and who, who, who introduce people to Jesus one by one. That is so incredibly important. We have a phrase for this adventure as well. We call it invest and invite. We encourage you to invest in building relationships with lost people. I don't want you just hanging around with church people all the time. Though Everybody needs to be part of a connect group and everybody needs to be part of the, the family. But the reality is I want you to out, out there meeting people in your community. You know, coach a team, get involved. When I was in Ohio, I joined the volunteer fire department. It uh, allowed me the opportunity to meet a bunch of guys I would have never met otherwise. Built great relationships there. Was able to influence them, introduce many of them to Christ. That's what, that's what I encourage you to do. Invest in building relationships with people and look for the opportunity to invite them to a service or to invite them to a special event or maybe you just want to you know, invite them to your house and, and talk to them about your relationship with Christ. Think of this. If, if Andrew had not introduced Peter to Christ, Peter wouldn't have preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people wouldn't have been saved. You never know what that person that you lead to the Lord is going to do. Commentator Herb Lockyer said this about Andrew. He said, as the spiritual father of Peter, Andrew was the spiritual grandfather 
of the 3,000 souls who on the day of Pentecost repented of their sins and turned to the Savior. Thus, as the founder of personal evangelism in the cause of Christ, Andrew will ever remain an inspiration to the saints as they seek to win the nearest around them for the Savior. I think Andrew is a fantastic example for us to follow. Yeah, maybe you won't stand up here someday, but you can certainly talk to that person in your company, that person in the cubicle next to you, that person that uh, uh, goes to your kid's school that you sit in the sidelines and watch your kids play soccer or basketball or baseball. You'll get a chance to reach them far quicker than I will. You see, as we leave this place, we all have connections, we all have relationships and people that we can meet. You have the opportunity to invest in that relationship and look for the opportunity to invite them to Christ or invite them to church. And you just never know that one person that you introduce to Christ may be the next Peter that preaches and thousands and thousands get saved. So don't, don't sell yourself short. Don't think that your role isn't important. Everyone's role in the body of Christ is important. Amen? So I want to think about Andrew here for just a minute. He didn't hold classes teaching people that he met amazing lessons about the sovereignty of God. He didn't have any kind of a crusade uh, on the street corner where they drew crowds and, and had a big altar call at the end. He didn't stand on a street corner holding up signs, turn or burn, or anything like that. He did nothing like that. He looked at his friend circle and he says, who could I invite to meet Jesus? I want to introduce you to Jesus. You see, he saw the importance of bringing people to Christ. You say, well, preacher, that's fine and dandy. He knew Jesus' home address. He'd been to Jesus' house. It was easy for him to invite people uh, to meet Jesus. But if I today, if I today said, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus, people would think I'm crazy. Well, you may not be able to introduce people to Jesus today physically, but through the word of God, you can point them to the Savior. Scripture says in John chapter 5, verse 39, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. You want to introduce somebody to Jesus today, introduce them to the word of God. Point them to scripture. Invite them to read the book of John and, and they will learn about Jesus. Everything that God wants you to know about him is found right here in the word of God. You say, well, preacher, I, I don't get anything out of it or I'm, I'm not sure. Listen, you just keep reading until, until you do get something. Just keep reading. You say, oh, I'd love to hear from God. Well, I give this illustration all the time. God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. God's mouth is closed. God's mouth is open. You want to hear from God? You got to open the word of God. This is how he speaks today. So read his word. Well, I wouldn't know what to say. Well, listen, you don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go through the leadership outreach, leadership training, or anything like that. Tell your story. Just tell your story. What happened to you? Did you have a life change? Was there a time that you were before you were Christian and then after you were Christian? Well, talk about that. Say, you know what? I used to be like this. I found Jesus. I met Jesus. I accepted Jesus. And now, now this. Say, well, preacher, I can't do that. I mean, I, you know, I just, I just don't think I can do it. Well, then look for the opportunity to invite them to church. 
we do our best to not be weird here, you know. You ever been to a weird church? Anybody ever been to a weird church? You're like, get me out of here as quickly as possible. <laughs> I've been to that, you know. I've been there. When we started Venture, one of the things we said is, let's just not be weird, you know. Let's just try that, you know. <laughs> let's just kind of be normal people. So we try to be that, but invite them to church, you know. And, uh, you know, you just never know what may happen from there. Uh, invite them to join you in, in one of the ministry endeavors, one of the outreach events that we have. Uh, just look for a way that you can invite them so that at some point they can hear about Jesus. You know, the second thing that sets Andrew apart from other uh, apostles is this. He saw potential where others saw impossibilities. Now, if you've been in church any period of time, you've certainly heard the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the miracle that God did with five loaves and two fishes. And uh, I want you to see that Andrew played a role in that. So Jesus had just gotten word that Herod had beheaded John the Baptist. Now, John the, you know, uh, Andrew was a student or a, a disciple of John the Baptist, and they heard that John the Baptist had been beheaded by Herod. And that had to be a, a really heart-wrenching time for them. I mean, I'm sure that for Peter, James, John, Andrew, Jesus, and the rest of the disciples, I mean, that was, a, that was something that you kind of got to process a little bit. So they decided to go up onto a mountain and kind of get away from, from everybody and just sit down at the feet of Jesus and kind of talk and share. But somehow the crowds got wind of, of where they were and... Uh, they went after him. So let's pick it up in John chapter 6, verse 1. So sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the sign he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another's disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. And after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, I have spent time in the past just preaching on this, this particular passage alone. There's a lot of rich content in here, but for today, I just want to point out a few things. I mean, 5,000 people were coming in a crowd. It says 5,000 men. That means there was probably women and children there as well. So we're probably looking at some 10,000 people. We're talking, you know, uh, a lot of money to buy enough bread and stuff for them to eat. But Andrew, Andrew says, uh, um, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will that go among the many? Now, just think about kind of how ridiculous that sounds for a minute. 
I mean, Andrew, Andrew says, you know, yeah, I know there's 10,000 people coming. Well, I, got, I got two fish and five small loaves of bread. It's like, it's like there's a raging forest fire and somebody walks up and gives them a bucket and says, here, I got a bucket of water for you. You know, like, well, that ain't going to do much. Or somebody, you know, we, got, we, we owe $11 million. Well, pastor, here's 11 cents. You know, hope that helps. You know, as nice as that is, 11 cents doesn't help much. It's the same thing when you're trying to feed 10,000 people two small fish and a few loaves of bread just isn't going to cut it. How, how, you know, how far will that go among so many? But Andrew, Andrew saw potential where others saw impossibilities. You see, Andrew recognized they were down, but he knew they weren't out. He believed that with God, all things are possible. Andrew had seen Jesus perform miracles before, and he knew that Jesus could take a little and turn it into a lot. And I don't think it's lost on any of us here this morning that how many baskets were left over? Let me say it again. How many baskets were left over? How many disciples were there? Hmm. A little irony there. Was there maybe, maybe Jesus giving some kind of a, a teaching point here? You know? Philip had said, yeah, we, you know, 200 days wages wouldn't be enough to even give these people one bite. Jesus said, feed them until they're full. Give them every, let them eat until their heart's content, until everybody has enough. And then look at the leftovers after that. Andrew saw the potential where others saw impossibilities. What impossible situation are you facing in your life right now? Are you like Philip? And you're like, I don't know how this is ever going to happen. I don't know how this is ever going to work out. I don't know ever going to be able to afford this. I don't know how we're going to be able to do this. Or you're like Andrew. says, well, here's what I've got. I'm going to give it to you, Lord, because I know you can do something incredible with it. Matthew 19, 26, Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Mark 9, 23, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for he who believes. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Romans 8, 31, what shall then we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What is the situation that you're facing that seems so overwhelming, so impossible, such a big mountain that you don't know how you're going to get through this? Maybe you just need to listen to Andrew and give it to God. Take it to Jesus and say, God, you're the God of the impossible. I believe in you. Five loaves, two fish, fed over 10,000 people that day. Andrew, this man who was content to play second fiddle, was a man of vision. He saw potential. He was a man of faith. He introduced people to Jesus, one by one, nice and quiet. Let's look at the third thing he saw. He saw God's glory as his life's goal, not his own advancement. You know, there are some people in life that they don't want to be in the band unless they get to play the lead. They're not going to play in the football team unless they get to be the quarterback they want to be large and in charge, or they're not going to be a part of it. And uh, that's not the case with Andrew. 
That's not who he was. He's never mentioned um, as a participant in any of the big debates in the New Testament. He didn't write any books of the New Testament. In the entire Bible, his name is only mentioned 12 times. To our knowledge, he never preached to multitudes. We have no evidence that he founded any churches. He's not mentioned in the book of Acts or any of the other epistles. And by the way, an epistle is just a letter. And yet, he's always listed in the four. He was a very valuable player to Jesus. But he worked behind the scenes. And he was a close friend of Jesus. He was more... He was more concerned with bringing people to Jesus than worrying about who got the credit for it, who was going to sit where in the eternal kingdom. Andrew was an excellent example of a humble servant of the Lord. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened to Andrew after the day of Pentecost. We really don't know what role he played in the early church. Because remember, he was a behind-the-scenes kind of a guy. But we do have early scholars and early tradition says that he took the gospel north. Eusebius, the, the ancient church historian, said that Andrew went as far as Scythia. Scythians were nomadic people who originally uh, from Iran but eventually settled in Russia and Ukraine. That's why to this day, Andrew is the patron saint of Russia and also of Scotland. He was ultimately crucified in Echii, which is in southern Greece, near Athens. One account says that he led the wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ, and it so infuriated her husband that he demanded that she recant her devotion to Christ. She wouldn't do it. So the governor ordered that Andrew be crucified. And he was so angry that had Andrew crucified by lashing him to the cross instead of nailing to the cross, that way he would be there longer. And it wasn't the typical cross that you see. It was, an, it was a cross called a, a saltire. It was an X-shaped cross. Tradition tells us that he hung on this cross for days, exhorting passers-by to turn to Christ for salvation. Andrew was the first to hear that Jesus is the Lamb of God. He was the first one to follow Christ. Yet in his humility, he quietly, quietly followed God until his death. He was faithful to the end. And what an incredible example for us today. He saw value in, in individuals. He was a man of vision. He was a man of faith. He saw possibilities where other people only saw problems. He didn't worry about rising in prominence. For him, it was only about pleasing God. He just wanted to live a life that pleased God. He didn't care if he ever got any accolades if anybody ever named anything after him, he just wanted to quietly serve God. And my friends, we need, we need people like that today in this world, in this church. If we're going to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
we're going to need an army of people like Andrew who aren't out to make a name for themselves. They're out to point others to Jesus Christ. That we're here to, to just tell others what Jesus Christ has done. <clears throat> I wonder this morning, do you know Christ? Maybe you're here today because somebody in this church invited you to come. And here you are. And maybe for you, you've never really understood who Jesus was. And you knew he was God, but beyond that, you didn't know a whole lot. Well, my friends, Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to the earth in the form of a baby. A miracle baby. Born of a virgin. Lived a life just like you and me. He was human. Never sinned. Never did anything wrong. At the age of 30, he went into public ministry. Began to reveal himself as who he was, the Son of God. The first wedding, he turned water into wine. And from there, he did signs proving that he was indeed Jesus Christ. He healed people. He calmed the winds and the waves with his hand. Gave sight to the blind. Caused those who weren't able to walk to stand and walk. But ultimately, ultimately he took my place on the cross. You see, he died to pay for my sins and your sins and quite frankly, the sins of the entire world. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, that we might have everlasting life, that you and I could be saved. Saved from what? Saved from ourselves, saved from sin, saved from an eternity separated from God. So how, do you know, how do we do that? You do it by putting your faith in Christ, by trusting in Jesus. Not trusting in your works, not trusting in church attendance, not trusting in the fact that you've been a good person. I'm sure you are a good person, but you're not a good enough person to get into heaven. Neither am I. We don't get into heaven by good works. We get into heaven by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting in his good life, in his perfect sacrifice. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He took our sins. We get his righteousness. We are declared righteous when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ. If you're here today thinking you're going to get into heaven because of religion, I'm here to tell you you won't. If you think you're here today and you're going to get into heaven because of your good works, you've done more good than you've done bad, that's not how it works. One day we're going to die. We're going to stand judgment seat. If God were to say, why should I let you in? The only answer that's going to be acceptable is I've put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the answer that opens the door to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. That's what Jesus said, John 14, 6. He's the only door, the only way in. So if you're here today, maybe a friend invited you, I encourage you, would you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Would you trust in him? It was July 1983. I was at Ohio Baptist Acres in Akron, Ohio. It was an evening and a preacher, Steve Bush was his name, got up and he preached and for the first time. It made sense to me. It was in a, an event like this, a bunch of people around and he preached and for whatever reason, all the pieces came together and it made sense in my mind for the first time. 
I need to be saved. When they had an invitation at the end, a bunch of kids went forward, and I was one of them. So many kids went forward, there weren't enough adults there to even kind of talk to us all. So they just said, go find a quiet place. Talk to God. I left the building, went outside, sat down at a tree, leaned up against the tree. I'm like, now what? I wasn't sure what to do. So I prayed a prayer. It went something like this. wasn't pretty. Dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. Pray that you'll forgive me. I believe that Jesus died for me and I'm willing to live for you. Whatever that means. Amen. That day my life was changed. You don't have to have a pretty prayer. You don't have to have somebody there. Just needs to be between your heart and the heart of God. Just needs to be a point where you recognize that you can't save yourself, that you need a savior. And that's who Jesus is. So maybe somebody's brought you here today so that you could hear about Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you you know Jesus. But you've never told anybody, you haven't invited anybody. Maybe, maybe today. God will just give you a little nudge. Say, why aren't you inviting people to church? Why aren't you telling others about Jesus? I've saved you. Why don't you tell others about Jesus? And finally, maybe you're here today and you're facing an impossible situation. And you just don't see any way through it, around it, over it. Maybe Andrew's faith will inspire you today to take it to God and allow him to do a miracle. Amen? So let's pray together. If you're here this morning and say, well, preacher, I'd like, I'd like to be saved. I'm not sure what to do. If you're here this morning and in your heart, you say, you know what? I do believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I do believe that he's the Savior of the world. I believe that. And I'd like to receive Christ as my Savior. I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. It's not a magic prayer. It's not the words of the prayer that will save you. It's the intent of your heart between your heart and the heart of God. But if you'd like somebody to lead you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sins. I know I've done so many things wrong. I've broken your word, the Ten Commandments. I've just done so many things wrong, and I'm sorry. I pray that you'll forgive me. I'm not good enough to save myself, but I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I put my faith and my trust in him and him only. The best I know how, I'm asking you to save me, to cleanse me, and to take me to heaven when I die. Thank you, God, for saving my soul. Help me, Lord, now to follow you and to please you with all my life. In Jesus' name. With our heads still bowed and our eyes still closed, no one looking around but me this morning. This is just between you and me, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything. I, just, I would just like to be able to pray for you. Say, preacher, I just prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I just trusted Christ as my Savior, and I want you to know. If that's you this morning, would you slip your hand up all over this auditorium? Just slip it up. God bless you and you and you and you. God bless you and you and you. God bless you. Someone else this morning say, preacher, I just prayed to receive Christ. Just slip it up and put it right back down. God bless you. God bless you and you. Amen. Others? Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning. 
and all the folks that have raised their hand. And God, you saw them raise their hand. You're in this place today. And so God, I pray that you would help them as they start this new journey with you, as they start this, this faith walk and as they begin the Christian life. God, I pray that you would use them to do amazing things in your kingdom. God, that you would walk with them, that you would help them to grow and learn and mature in their faith. God, we, re- we just rejoice. Your word says that there's rejoicing in heaven when one person trusts Christ. And God, we celebrate this morning with the numerous people who have put their faith in Christ in this place today. Father, we love you. We thank you and we, we rejoice in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen and amen.